Good evening, everybody. This is Brandon with 238 Media. And I just wanted to take a little bit of time to go over some thoughts as it relates to the fatherhood of God in the Old Testament. So this is probably going to be just maybe a one-time thing that I'm going to just really hit on some of what I believe to be the clearest declarations of the fatherhood of God given to us in the pre-New Testament time period. So, hey, let somebody know we got an apostolic Pentecostal podcast going on and let's get started. Now, I'm going to be basing this conversation off an article written by a gentleman by the name of Gerald Bray, which he submitted as an essay to the Gospel Truth uh, Coalition. Uh, Coalition. And in this article, he deals with the topic that I think is sometimes ignored when having conversations about the going forths of the Lord of the Old Testament. But I think we, as he rightly stated in this article, can take the fact that God is our father uh, as our creator for granted. Now, according to the definition that Mr. Bray gives, God is our father, not only in that he is our creator, but that he is also our redeemer. This is what distinguishes the Christian's relationship to God and what allows us to relate to him as father. Now, I think especially coming from a oneness Christology, this is very important because this helps us to understand in the hypostatic union how it is that Jesus Christ in his true humanity related to the divinity, which we believe or better yet, which we believe from a just consistent reading of the Old Testament would have to be the father in essence. So the Old Testament really shows us the paternal relationship that the children of Israel enjoyed with God as their father. And so when we have Jesus in the New Testament making such claims as our father in heaven, God, our father, the Jews readily understood the things he was saying. And better yet, when certain statements were said about him as being God, I would dare say that they understood wholeheartedly what it was that the Lord was proposing by not shying away from such designations. Now, in the Old Testament, God is the father of Israel. And of course, Israel is his only son. In the context of God forgiving and redeeming Israel, we see that God many times reveals himself as a caring father figure that is actively involved in the redemption, deliverance and development of this sometimes cantankerous nation of individuals that he assumes the role as paternal father. Now, while the Jews, as we look into the time period of Jesus, were hesitant sometimes to call God their father, Jesus really brought a revival of paternal relationship with understanding the divine nature by his consistent admittance and embrace of the fatherly relationship that he enjoyed in the incarnation. God, as we understand him as apostolic Pentecostals, is uniquely the father in nature, but he is revealed to us in his son by means of the incarnation. 
So as we look at this concept of God being the father in the Old Testament, it shows us in many ways how we are to relate to God, not just as a fearful overlord who is waiting in sadistic, gleeful expectation of our failure so that he can heap judgment upon us as is projected in some theological systems, but we understand him to have the position of wanting to see us do the things that he has commanded us to do. It almost puts me in mind of understanding the relationship of being a father, that any person who is honest, even when the child disappoints them, and even when they have to give them judgment or maybe in the form of punishment, any person that's honest readily can admit that these things aren't done as a way to make one even or to just simply assert their dominance. And if that is one's motive, then they're probably lacking some very, how can you say holistic emotional tools? But these things are done in hopes that the person or the child will adopt the needed behavior that will correct divergent tendencies so that they can develop into the person that you see them as. Now, I think a lot of times apostolics today, we can take God being our father for granted. And we know that Jesus taught the disciples to pray our father in heaven. But I think the relationship that we see extended to all humanity in the sense that God has not only been sought by man, but God is taking the step without the initiation of man to redeem man or to seek and to save mankind. This is profound considering the posture of many of the world's religions that would not only see man, probably not the direct result of a creator, but would see man as subservient in the sense of God not being concerned about their well-being. But we found a very profound statement in St. John 5 and 17 when the Lord says, My Father is working unto now, and I am working. In other words, although God rested on the seventh day from his work of creation, his work of preservation and ultimately of redemption was still going forward. Moreover, Jesus associated his own ministry with that continuing work of the Father, raising the question of their relationship in a way that antagonized many of the Jews that were listening. This is illustrated to us in St. John 5 and 18 when the Lord says, that was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, it's bad enough he's doing that. But he went a little bit further by calling his own father, calling God his father, making himself equal to God. Now, was the reaction of the Jews justified? The Old Testament seldom uses the word father as a description of God, but there are at least two important texts in which it does, and I would argue more. Both of them are found towards the end of Isaiah and occur in the context of sin and repentance. Let me read one of those examples for you in Isaiah 63 at verses 16 through 17. You are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer from old is your name. 
The second reference is in Isaiah 64, verses 8 through 9. O Lord, you are our Father. You are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the works of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Now, this may seem, as I stated earlier, commonplace for us looking from a lens of the New Testament. But from the angle of his listeners who recognize their guilt in departing from the living God by indulging in the very things that he delivered their forefathers from in the land of Egypt, even though they are going to receive judgment and correction from the Lord, it is astounding that even within the context of this judgment, God is not relinquishing his paternal responsibility. And he is not even shying away from the designation of them as identifying him as their father. This highlights some of the early relationship with God and the children of Israel we see in Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 2. You are the sons of the Lord God, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. What an awesome statement to know that this is the intentional choice of God to bring us into relationship so that not only we may be known of him, but to acknowledge that he knows us. So this has been just a random installment of Acts 238 or 238 media tonight dealing with the fatherhood of God in the Old Testament. Hebrews 1 and 1, I think it'd be a good side note to take a further study on to see that the New Testament exclusively designates the one who spoke in olden times as God the Father. But hey, as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name.